I went through my pantry and my refrigerator and I found a few items and I'm going to read to you the ingredient list and then I want you to guess what the item is. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Corn vegetable oil, which is corn, canola, and or sunflower oil, maladextrin made from corn, salt, whey, monosodium. My colleague Alahe Zadi caught up with Anahad O'Connor recently. Anahad's a columnist for the well-being section of the Post, and he's been writing about what's actually in the food we buy. So Alahe quizzed him. Cassinate, artificial color, yellow six, lake red, 40, lake yellow six, red, 40, yellow five, blue one, citric acid, sugar, lactic acid, skim milk, disodium inosinate, and disodium guanolate. Okay, this sounds like the cheese packet flavoring for uh, boxed macaroni and cheese. Um... Close, but not. Mm. <laughs> it is Doritos Spicy Nacho. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, I was close. I was close. I knew it was some sort of like fake cheese flavored product. Yeah. The yellow colorings. <laughs> mm-hmm. All delicious Just like Mama sounding. Made. Yes. All delicious <laughs> sounding ultra processed uh, food ingredients. <laughs> According to Anahad, a lot of the foods that taste really good are ultra-processed, and we all have them in our homes. Ramen noodles, Cheetos, potato chips. These kinds of foods make up over half of the average American's diet. They're easy to keep on the shelf, and they're typically cheap to buy. But they're not very good for us. I have spent a lot of time reading food labels and thinking about why additives are included in our foods, the deceptive (laughs) types of advertising and mislabeling they do. And I really started to think more about the specific ingredients that I'm putting in my body, and I think that um, everyone should do that as well. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Arjun Singh. It's Friday, January 19th. Over the next few weeks, we're talking to some of our colleagues about how we can all reset our habits a little bit this year. Whether that's what we're eating, how we're sleeping, how we're approaching exercise and fitness, or even how we're thinking about our relationships. Today, Anahad talks to Alahe about why we should all try to eat less ultra-processed food and some easy tips for how to start doing this in your own life. What are ultra-processed foods? Like, what is the definition? And can you break down for us what kind of effects do ultra-processed foods have on our health? Yes. So I think that you hit a really important point there, which is that there are processed foods, which pretty much all the foods that we eat today are processed in some way. And then there are ultra-processed foods. These are foods that are processed to essentially a whole new level. Um, And so ultra-processed foods are really industrial formulations. They're made up entirely of substances extracted from other foods or synthesized in laboratories. And they're made through industrial techniques like extrusion, um, molding, pre-processing by frying. And they contain all sorts of additives that make them hyper-palatable. And that means that they're designed to achieve a certain bliss point 
that makes us hmm. in many ways crave and essentially overeat them. And we're seeing this in, in studies where they give people ultra-processed foods and find that people eat a lot more when they're given ultra-processed foods versus minimally processed foods. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, we're talking in, in broad strokes here. Let's get down to brass tacks. Can you just explain to me how an ultra-processed food is made? So let's let, let's go to Doritos. Let, let's go to that, you know, snack food that so many of us often crave. How are Doritos made? Yes. So this is a great example. And I like to use um, the example of uh, a, a kernel of corn. Let's start with that because that's where a Dorito comes from. And it also shows you the difference between a processed food and an ultra-processed food. So, it's you know, a, quite a journey, a corn of corn to <laughs> a Dorito chip. Take me on kernel. this journey. Let's follow yeah. the journey of the corn uh, kernel. So you start with corn that's grown in a field. It's picked, and then corn kernels are removed. Some of those kernels are going to end up as canned corn, and others are going to end up in your bag of Doritos. So for a can of of corn kernels, it's processed. So the corn is picked, you got the corn kernels, they are brought to a facility where they are washed, they're maybe mixed with water, they're sorted, uh, they're packaged into a can, and then you have one or two ingredients that are added, maybe salt to act as a preservative, maybe a little bit of sugar, and then the can is closed, and there's your processed corn. So essentially, all the food we eat today is processed in some way because it comes through a factory and ends up on our store shelves. But then you have the ultra-processed uh, corn kernel. And that starts out you know, in the factory, and then oftentimes it is ground up and milled by high-speed uh, milling machines that will actually, in many cases, separate um, the fibrous part of the corn from the starchy endosperm. And so you get a lot of the carbs separated from the fiber. And the fiber is the really nutritious part that is really good for mm. us. And a lot of our, you know, simple carb foods have the fiber removed. And that's one reason why ultra-processed foods are very shelf-stable, because fiber goes off quickly. And when you take the fiber mm. out, then you increase the shelf life of, of a food. So you grind up the corn kernel, uh, maybe you soak it in some water, um, you pulverize it into dough, and then it's fed into what's called an extrusion cooking machine. Now, this is like a big steel barrel that subjects the pulverized corn to really high temperatures and really high pressures, and it ex essentially melts the corn dough. And then it's molded into sheets, it's flattened, and it's cut into those triangular chip shapes that we all know and love. Uh, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> it's sounding more and more delicious. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> so then the chips are baked in an oven and then they're deep fried in, in those vegetable oils that you mentioned in the list of Doritos ingredients. And then you have all of these ingredients that are that the chips are coated in. So they're coated in cheese and cheese flavorings and salt. You mentioned monosodium glutamate, that is MSG. That's something that's added the, to the Dorito chips. You have flavor enhancers, you have sugar, you have artificial colors, you have natural flavors, you have other spices and flavor enhancers added um, and, and sprayed on the chips. And then finally, the chips are packed into a bag and shipped to your grocery store. 
there's all these different flavors and crunches and textures. And because it's subjected to this extrusion processing, which really, it, what it does at the cellular level is it breaks the food matrix, you know, the structure of the oh corn. It's, it's broken down <laughs> because of these high temperatures and pressures. And so as you're chewing it, it goes from crunchy to then soft, and you're able to swallow it really easily. It goes down very smoothly, um, and then it's absorbed very rapidly in your uh, digestive system. So this is a whole nother step of the process that really right. uh, you know, shows us how these foods affect our health and why they may increase um, the disease process and lead us to eat and eat um, without feeling satiety. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Anahad, hearing you explain to me how I'm how this chip has come into <laughs> into existence. It's like <laughs> almost out of nothing into something. So what you're saying is this isn't maybe the best thing for me to be eating all the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe not every day. And and there was a really fascinating study where scientists um, took a group of people and put them on two different diets. One was a diet of minimally processed foods and one was a diet of ultra-processed foods. And they found that with the ultra-processed foods, they were essentially pre-digested. You know, those processes that I described, you know, break down the food matrix uh -huh. and break down the food. And, you know, typically when we eat, you know, we chew the food, it goes into our stomach, and then it hits our intestinal tract. And our digestive tract typically extracts the nutrients from, you know, a corn kernel very slowly. And then it gets to the end of our large intestine, our colon, where our gut microbiome is. And we have trillions of microbes that really love fiber. And they break down this fiber into things like short-chain fatty acids, that have a lot of beneficial effects on our body. They help to reduce inflammation. Um, Short-chain fatty acids actually stimulate the release of GLP-1. And GLP-1 is a hormone that we all sort of know something about because you've heard of drugs like Ozempic and Wegovi, these popular weight loss and diabetes drugs. They are designed to mimic the action of GLP-1. Um, and GLP-1 is a hormone that actually produces satiety and it helps to reduce... Um, the risk of things like diabetes. And we actually produce GLP-1 in our bodies when we eat foods that contain a lot of fiber, uh, minimally processed foods, because they stimulate our gut microbiome and our gut microbiome helps to release you know, these important hormones. But when you eat ultra-processed foods, scientists say what happens is that these foods are essentially pre-digested and they pass from your stomach into your small intestine and boom, they're already broken down and digested. And so there's not much food left over to reach your gut microbiome, and that, you know, causes the breakdown of these these mm -hmm. hormonal systems where you're not getting those satiety signals that tell your brain to stop eating. So what does that do to our health to be wanting to crave these foods and consuming them more? What, what kind of impact do these foods have? So scientists have been doing these big studies where they look at um, our consumption levels of ultra-processed foods and how that affects or influences disease rates. And they have found now in dozens and dozens of studies that people who eat a lot of ultra-processed foods have much higher rates of all of the leading chronic diseases. So they have higher rates of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, cancer, uh, cognitive decline and dementia, even uh, depression, um, and wow. so there have been a lot of studies now linking ultra-processed foods to higher rates of these diseases. And then also smaller, more rigorously controlled clinical trials that have shown that when people are put on a diet where they're given a lot of ultra-processed foods, so things like sugary breakfast cereals um, and you know a lot of canned 
packaged foods like boxed macaroni and cheese and instant mashed potatoes, that kind of stuff. You know, one study found that when people ate ultra-processed foods, they consumed an additional 500 calories per day. And that's something that adds up over time and can cause you to quickly gain weight. And so scientists think that when we eat ultra-processed foods, we are driven to consume a lot more calories, and that drives weight gain, and then the disease process starts. After the break, Anahat explains how to identify ultra-processed foods and has some tips for easy swaps. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So, okay, Anahad, we have established that these foods are not maybe the best thing for us to be eating all the time, but it can be really difficult to make big changes to your diet. And it can often feel like I'm failing or there's guilt wrapped up in this. But you recently dug into some easy, sort of straightforward ways to make adjustments in our diets by eating less ultra-processed foods. So what are some basic pointers you have to help us identify ultra-processed foods? Like, say I'm walking into the grocery store, what are some things that I should be looking out for? Yeah, so you raise a really good important point. And so first off, you don't need to avoid all ultra-processed foods. The important thing is just to be cognizant of what you're eating. It's okay to eat treats. It's okay to eat Doritos if that's what you want from time to time. They just shouldn't be, um, you know, the bulk of your diet. So you just want to be aware of how many ultra-processed foods you're eating, you know, how much added sugar you're eating. And so the first thing is read the food labels. Number one, look at the ingredients list. And does this food have more than, let's say, three or four ingredients? That's often, you know, an important tip-off that the food you're about to eat may be ultra-processed because, as we talked about, minimally processed foods may have one, two, three ingredients or so. But once you go beyond that, then you start getting into the realm of ultra-processing. Okay, so I'm looking at a label. There's more than three or more ingredients. What do I need to look at next? So if you find a food that has, you know, a lot of these ingredients, typically you can find a less altered version. So I like to use the example of peanut butter, for example. You want peanut butter, um, look for a peanut butter that just has peanuts and maybe salt, a couple of ingredients. There are also a lot of peanut butters like Skippy and Jif that have peanuts, salt, and then sugar 
and then mono and diglycerides, which is an emulsifier. Maybe they have cornstarch, they might have artificial flavors and sweeteners. So the same thing with bread, you can find processed bread and ultra-processed bread. Just look for the food that has fewer ingredients, typically, if you want to make a swap. So the next one would be to look for these ingredients like thickeners, stabilizers, or emulsifiers. Uh, things like soy lecithin, guar gum, xanthan gum, mono and diglycerides, um, CMC or car- <laughs> carboxymethylcellulose. That's a mouthful. Basically the words that I can't pronounce. Yeah, when it starts <laughs> to sound like a, <laughs> exactly. When it starts to sound like a high school chemistry experiment, then you know, mm-hmm. you know this is not something I would make in my own kitchen. This right. is something where they're adding all sorts of stabilizers and emulsifiers to give this food a long shelf life. And, um, you know, there's some ultra-processing involved. Right. Okay, what about foods that are labeled as healthy or low sugar or, in so many words, we promise this is good for you. (laughs) Is that real? (laughs) (laughs) So believe it or not, you know, those are foods that often have, you know, a big marketing push behind them. You know, you don't see those labels on things like apples and bananas, you know, (laughs) the whole foods. Yet, I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, that's a billion dollar idea right there. Um, But yeah, when you start seeing these health claims, these big promises on the foods, then there's probably some ultra-processing involved. And for example, a lot of foods will say, um, you know, no added sugar or low in sugar. Well, it turns out that a lot of manufacturers will put that label on on the front of the package and they will take out some of the sugar, but then replace it with artificial sweeteners. So technically there's no added sugar, but there's added artificial sweeteners. Or, Mm. you know, if it says half the sugar... Maybe that's because they replaced the other half with artificial sweeteners. So just something to be aware. You know, these sort of big marketing claims might be a tip-off that your food is ultra-processed. I think the double-edged sword of a lot of grocery stores today is that there's so much variety. Um, And it's Mm. been shown in studies that variety is one thing that causes us to um, to eat more. You know, when we have more options, we want to consume more food. So, Mm. you know, if you know you want... Um, yogurt, for example. So I love yogurt for breakfast and I like fruit in my yogurt. Rather than buying the fruit-flavored yogurt or the honey-flavored or vanilla-flavored yogurt, yogurt, I just buy the plain yogurt and then I add my own fresh fruit or add my own honey. Uh, and I do that for a number of reasons because when these companies start adding you know, things to their, to their foods, they will add not just fruit, but cornstarch, uh, emulsifiers, you know, cane sugar, all this other extra stuff, preservatives. Mm -hmm. And you're better off just buying the plain, minimally processed version and then adding your own ingredients. Even if you want honey, you're more likely to add less honey than the manufacturer will add. Because remember, they're trying to achieve that bliss point to get you to overeat the food. So um, typically people Mm -hmm. add less sugar or less honey than than the manufacturers will. And so you should decide how much extra sugar or honey or fruit you want in in your food, not the manufacturers. Yeah, but aren't ultra-processed foods cheaper? They last longer, what you're suggesting. It's more expensive, you know, buying the yogurt and buying the fresh fruit or doing other things. So first of all, is that true? Are ultra-processed foods cheaper? And how do we think about replacing them without spending so much? 
you know, you bring up an important point. There is a socioeconomic issue here, which is that people who can afford to pay more for food, you know, have more options. The reality is that ultra-processed foods, and this has been shown in studies, are, you know, ounce for ounce um, a lot cheaper typically than the minimally processed foods. And they are mm. shelf-stable and they last longer. You know, you can buy them in bulk. And so for a lot of families that, you know, have really tight budgets, um, or maybe don't you know have the ability to store fresh foods for a long time. These are families where they don't have a lot of choices, and so you know it's thought that this is one reason why Americans consume so many ultra processed foods is because they're cheap, affordable, convenient. Um, you know maybe families feel time pressure where they don't have the time to prepare a lot of homemade meals, and so they just want something that you know they know their kids will eat that tastes good and that's going to give them the calories that they need. And so a lot of um, public health authorities are trying to put pressure on food companies to just take out some of the additives from their food, maybe cut back on the sugar, cut back on the artificial sweeteners, so that you know, families who want to feed um, you know, their children, feed their you know, loved ones on a budget can do that without having to worry about you know, all the extra junk that might be hiding or lurking in their food. But at the same time, there are nutrition um, uh, scientists who say that you can still, you know, feed your family uh, healthy foods on a budget. You just have to put a little more time and effort into it, and that's something that we we all need to do. By number one, just starting to read the food labels and just be careful about what we're buying, and just be cognizant about what's in the food we're feeding our families. Yeah, so much does come down to time, and time can cost people money as well. And so not everyone has the time, but I don't know. This conversation is also just making me think about how, in many ways, it, it feels totally impossible to avoid ultra-processed foods altogether, especially if we're trying to eat things that aren't being grown in, like, in our own backyard or where we live. You know, are you thinking about ultra-processed foods in a different way than you did before you stepped into this reporting? And what would you tell someone who's trying to strike a balance without you know, going crazy over trying to make their diet better. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, this is not a black and white issue. You don't have to stop eating all ultra-processed foods. I write about ultra-processed foods and I consume some ultra-processed foods. I just am cognizant about which ones uh, I'm choosing to consume and which are the versions where, you know, I can select the healthier versions. So you know, a lot of us, we tend to eat a lot of the same foods day in and day out. We have a sort of schedule. So just look at the foods you're eating and think, okay, where can I swap the ultra-processed foods um, for less processed versions? And can I get a less processed version of it? Is it cost about the same? Is it an easy swap? You know, it's just, um, you know, it's very individual. And, you know, we can all make these, these little changes that add up to, um, you know, a big difference in our diets, but don't, and don't feel any guilt about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's so much variety, so many options and you have to, you know, find what works for you. Yeah. Well, I, after we end this conversation, I'm going to go uh, raid my pantry and start, you know, reading some labels on a hot. <laughs> and eating the uh, Doritos. <laughs> and eat, you know, I'm, I think I've earned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was stressful to think about this. So reward yeah. yourself with the bag of Doritos. And I'm going to go have yeah. a protein bar after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, cheers to that. Thanks, Anahad. All right. Thank you. Anahad O'Connor writes about food and health for the well being desk at the Post. He spoke to my colleague, Alahe Azadi. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. 
Today's show is produced by Sabby Robinson. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. Have a great weekend, and remember that you can kick off the new week on Monday with our morning podcast, The 7. If you don't already listen, look it up now and make sure to hit follow. We run down the seven most important and interesting stories you need to know, all in under seven minutes, right around 7 a.m. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Martin Powers, Alahe Izadi, Ted Muldoon, Monica Campbell, Lucy Perkins, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnik, Bishop Sand, Renny Svernoski, Sabby Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, Peter Bresnan, Allison Michaels, and Renita Jablonski. I'm Arjun Singh. We'll be back Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.